Good morning. <clears throat> my name is Jen Ashby. I'm on the staff here at Derwood Alliance Church, and it's my joy to look at the scriptures with you this morning, which is one of my absolute favorite things to do. <laughs> um, we are in the midst of a series called Look Up, Worship in All We Do. And today's message is called Walk Into Worship. Now, my guess is that when you walked into this church building this morning, you did not think a whole lot about the physical steps that you were taking. And if you came in kind of angling from the right, you didn't have to take any steps up at all. It was just smooth sailing into a heated foyer where I trust you were greeted warmly and there was a hot cup of coffee waiting for you even if you were late. It's a beautiful thing. Not so... At this synagogue in Chorazim, Israel, that some of us visited when we were there in 2008. Is that correct, those of you who went on that trip? I think it was 2008. This is in Chorazim. Uh, This synagogue was built in the 3rd century, and then it was destroyed in the 4th century, and then it was rebuilt in the 6th century, and this is what it looks like today. What do you notice about all of these steps? First of all, there are a lot of them leading up and into the synagogue. Secondly, they vary in depth. Thirdly, they vary in height, and some of them are quite steep. And these steps, and this is not an uncommon design for synagogues of uh, that period of history, these steps were designed that way on purpose so that it wouldn't be smooth sailing into that sanctuary, so that people would slow down and pay attention to their steps and think about who it was that they were coming to worship and who they were in relation to that God. Now, this morning, we're not really going to talk about physical walking into a church building. Rather, we're talking about the action and the attitude of walking into worship or entering into worship. Pastor Mark is defining for us uh, worship this way, to prostrate oneself in the presence of the divine or supernatural as a sign of humble submission. So if there's any doubt left in your mind, this is what prostrate looks like. That's prostrate. Sometimes it is very appropriate to physically, literally prostrate yourself in worship. Sometimes that's appropriate. It's always appropriate to metaphorically in your attitude, in your internal posture, prostrate, humble yourselves before God in worship. In worship, we bow down and we lift him up. Now, as we walk into worship, as we endeavor to enter into the action and the attitude of worship, there are some things that will clear the way for that to happen. And then on the flip side, there are other things that can be hindrances or hurdles to walking into worship. And we're going to look at some of those things 
as they're revealed to us in Psalm 95. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, now would be a good time to open up to Psalm 95. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a free gift, and those are available at the worship center, or sorry, the welcome center. And uh, if you use the YouVersion app on your phone, you can also just open that up, click events, go to Derwood Alliance Church, and that'll show you our scripture for today and our notes for today. The notes are also in the seat back pocket in front of you. So on the Bible timeline, Psalm 95 falls under kingdom where you see the purple crown. And it was actually written before all these local synagogues like the one in Chorazim were built. It was rented at a time when Jews worshipped all of them in Jerusalem at the temple. And this psalm or song would have been sung by the priest or the Levite as people were assembling, as they were coming in to worship. Let's read the first seven verses together. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. As we walk into worship, as we endeavor to enter into the action and the attitude of worship, the first thing I notice in this psalm that will clear the way to do that is this idea of worshiping together. Worshiping together. There is in this psalm a sense of community, of collectedness, of the plural, and of us encouraging one another to worship, inviting each other, admonishing each other. It says, let us sing for joy. Let us shout. Let us come before him. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. Worship together. Now this psalm, is talking about these kinds of special, set-apart times that we come together and worship. In other places in the Bible, there's instruction about separate, set-apart times where we worship alone. There are also places in the Bible that talk about not a set-apart, separate time, but an all-the-time-as-we-go-about-life attitude of worship. All three of these are biblical. All three of them are important. And I believe if you engage in one of these, you are more likely to engage in the other two. For example, when you show up for corporate worship, a special set, of time, set aside time to worship together like this, I think you are more likely to also have a special set aside time when you worship alone, and you are more likely to have an ongoing attitude of worship. And vice versa, I think if you have a special set aside time that you worship alone, then I think when you show up to something like this, you are more prepared to genuinely engage in corporate worship together. 
When we worship together, there is the primary dynamic of engaging with God. But somehow, there is also this other lesser but still significant dynamic of engaging with each other. And it's both glorifying to God and edifying or strengthening to our own hearts and souls. I used to watch this play out in some really special ways at the last church that I served. And I learned a lot about worship at that church, Oil City Community Alliance Church in Oil City, Pennsylvania. That's Western Pennsylvania. A lot of what I learned had to do with the ministry of our worship director there, Rick Rogers. But a culture was cultivated there whereby when we were gathered together for worship, people did not feel that they needed to wait for a verbal invitation from the leader up front if they felt prompted to come to the altar and pray. And so sometimes that would happen. People would come unprompted to the altar quietly, usually to the side, and pray. And if there were others in the congregation who saw that help happen and felt prompted that they should come and pray with, or pray for that person, they would come quietly, discreetly, and they would do that. That was not a ministry that was reserved just for elders or just for other uh, special spiritualized people. Um, another thing that would happen there sometimes is we had a handful of people in the congregation uh, who might discern or sense during a worship time together that the song that we were singing that God particularly wanted to use that song the truths of that song in someone else's life in a really uh, specific and personal way for example maybe there was an individual in the congregation going through a very difficult and dark time And we could be singing a song about our God of hope and praising our God of hope. It could be that another individual might quietly, discreetly slip out of their chair and go and stand near that person who was struggling and just worship near them. And they may or may not put their hand on them. Now, this wasn't every Sunday and it wasn't everybody and it was so subtle that you might not even notice it if you weren't looking for it. But this was uh, an expression, one of the expressions of this church worshiping together. I am not suggesting that we try to mimic that culture here. There are other ways to lean into this idea of worshiping together. Just showing up here this morning, sitting with other people, singing out, can be our ways of leaning into this, come let us, come let us, and worshiping together. Worshiping together clears a way for worship. Isolation hinders worship. Now, having periods of silence and solitude, that includes being alone, having periods of that can be very rich for worship. But persistent isolation, persistent isolation will hinder worship. Worshiping together Together, come let us, clears away for worship. The second thing I notice in Psalm 95 that clears the way to walk into worship is to worship the real God. Worship the real God. The psalm says, he is the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth 
and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Now, at the time that this psalm was written, this is a really important distinctive that's being made. Because the people around the Jews, those different people groups, and they had gods that were specific to particular places or particular issues. For example, a god of this mountain, a god of this plain, a god of fertility, a god of war. And this psalm is saying, this god is god over everything, everywhere. All the extremes, the depths and the heights, the sea and the land, and everything in between. Now remember, on the Bible timeline, this psalm was written in the period we call kingdom, the purple crown. And up to that point, God has already revealed some incredible things about himself. He has already done amazing things for his people. They already have lots of reasons to worship and praise him. Now let's think about where we are on this timeline. We live between mission and future. Now think about all that's transpired since kingdom. All the much more God has revealed about himself. All the much more God has done especially in the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We have all that more revelation, all that more reason, all that fuller picture of the real God. We're even better equipped, you might say, to worship the real God than the hearers, the first hearers of this psalm were. For more about who we worship, I encourage you to listen to Pastor Mark's sermon from last week. It's on our website. I want to say something additional this morning about worshiping the real God. In our small groups this fall, shout out to my small group. I love my small group. Um, In our small groups this fall, we're working through these ideas of gospel fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt and Jeff, or sorry, yeah, Jeff Vanderstel and Ben Colony. Uh, we've been discussing not only what we know in our minds about God, but also what we really believe about him deep down in our hearts. Well, I'm the group leader of my small group most of the time. Um, and sometimes as a leader, you have to lead the way in vulnerability. And so a few weeks ago, I put myself out there and had my group work through with me uh, some of the steps of the fruit to root exercise that goes like this. Question is, what am I experiencing? Well, one of the things that um, I experience is perfectionism and all of the angst that comes with perfectionism. In that experience, the next question is, in that experience, who do I believe I am? Well, at some level, mixed in with the other things I believe about who I am, I believe that my value is connected to my ability to produce results and to produce really good results. In that experience, who do I believe God is? Well, at some level mixed in with the other stuff I believe about God, I believe that God has some imp- 
possible expectations of me. And that when I don't meet those expectations, he is disgusted with me. And that is the point in our small group where I began to cry. (laughs) Because I know, I know from God's word and a million other evidences (laughs) that that's not true. But sometimes it feels true. But it pains me that it feels true. And it pains me that I've held that against God even though that's not who he is at all. That is the point in the exercise when you turn. Repent means to turn. And you turn away from the sin of unbelief or the sin of wrong belief. And you start rebuilding up again. Okay, so who is God really? And how do we know that? And that's when my small group began to chime in and help me. Who is God really? Well, God doesn't deal with me or judge me on my ability to produce. (laughs) I'm clothed in Christ and I'm judged in his righteousness. I know this because of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. What else is true about God? Well, when God gives me something to do, he doesn't leave me alone to flounder and fail on my own. He empowers me with his Holy Spirit. I know this because he poured out his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That's what's really true about God. Well, now, what do I believe about myself now? And what am I experiencing now? Well, one of the things that I'm experiencing, having gone through that exercise, is not only peace, but worship. I'm freed up to worship a gracious and generous God. I got my beliefs down deep about who God is, more lined up with the real God, and worshiping the real God will clear the way for worship. Having a skewed view of God will hinder worship. Having a skewed view of God will hinder worship. We have to do the hard work of not only understanding with our minds what God's word says, but digging deep and peeling back the layers of what we really believe about God deep down. Because a skewed view of God will hinder worship, but worshiping the real God, getting lined up with that, will clear the way. The next thing I see in this psalm that clears the way for us to walk into worship is to worship as the real you. The real you. It says, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. He is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. These verses are speaking not only to who God is, but to who we are. He's the creator, we are the creation. Make no mistake, God has made himself miraculously accessible and approachable, but we are not his peers. We are not his equals. He is infinitely superior to us. All of that speaks to his greatness. He made us out of nothing. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. He is great. (laughs) 
He is also, this psalm tells us, the good shepherd. And we're the flock that he cares for. This speaks to his goodness. His loving kindness is lavish. And we are the objects of his affection. Can you believe it? We're, We're the objects of God's affection. When we bring that reality into worship, the reality of who we really are, that'll clear the way for a rich connection with God in worship. Another aspect of worshiping God as the real you is being honest with God in worship about what you're really thinking and what you're really feeling. In other words, don't pretend. Don't be fake. Last month, about 12 of us were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania for a gathering, a national gathering of the women of our denomination. And one of the speakers was a singer, songwriter, author, Laura Story. And one of the things she talked about was how many psalms in the Bible begin with what the writer is feeling and end with what they know. So many of these begin with what this person is feeling, but ends with what they know. Here's an example from Psalm 102. Early on in verses 4 to 5, it says this, My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. And then here's how the psalm ends, verses 27, 28. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. This writer began with feeling what they feel, but they're ending with what they know. I don't think we're supposed to check our feelings and our doubts at the door when we come into worship. I think that when we do that, we are separating things and we are compartmentalizing things that are not meant to be compartmentalized. God knows how we're feeling anyway. And I think that we're meant to bring those things into worship. To bring them into worship and to lay them before the Lord and to say, Lord, this is how I'm really feeling and thinking. And in the midst of it, I choose to affirm what your word is true. So God, would you meet me in the intersection of feeling and fact as I worship? You don't have to resolve or ignore your hard feelings to be able to worship. And you don't have to resolve or ignore your doubts to be able to worship. I believe that scripture says we're to bring those things into the presence of God, honestly, and to honor him in the midst of all that tension and messiness. God is not interested in meeting with the fake you. God is not interested in meeting with a pretending you. He wants to meet with the real you. Pretending is a hindrance to worship. But worshiping as the real you, it clears the way 
for you to walk into a rich experience of worship. The last thing I see in this psalm that will clear the way to walk into worship is to worship from a soft heart. Let's look at these last verses of Psalm 95, beginning with the end of verse 7. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Does it feel like the psalm just took a hard left turn? Did you notice Melanie did not include this part? (laughs) Which is fine. Earlier. That's not exactly how you want to be welcomed into worship, right? I declared an oath in my anger. What is going on here? What is this about? Well, these verses are a reference to the past. To a time when the ancestors of these first hearers turned away from God. On the Bible timeline, it's referring to a time under uh, Exodus where you see the chain breaking. And it's recorded in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. The Jewish people as a group turned away from God when water wasn't readily available. They turned away from God when the people in the land God told them to take, the people, those people looked intimidating. They turned away from God repeatedly. And eventually God said, okay, this generation will not enter the promised land. You will wander in the desert for 40 years and I will give the promised land to your descendants. So what is the point of making this reference at the end of the psalm? Well, my study Bible puts it this way. Submit to the Lord with obedient hearts. A bent knee is not enough. You can do everything this psalm has said so far, physically. Sing, shout, bow, kneel. But if your heart is hard, then your worship is for naught. And you will not enter into an experience with God in the same way as if your heart was soft. If you go through the motions of worshiping externally, but internally your heels are dug in against God and against his commands, you're doing another kind of pretending. Now, Sometimes the process of physically going through the motions on the outside can help your heart get engaged and catch up (laughs) with what you're doing on the outside. That's not what I'm talking about here. And we already said you don't have to resolve or ignore all your hard feelings or doubts before your worship. That's not what I'm talking about here. What this is talking about is a hardness of heart, a posture that says... I am not acknowledging, I am not willing, I am not even trying to loosen my grip 
on a sin pattern in my life. I do have hard feelings and I do have doubts, but I'm not bringing them to God. I'm, I'm harboring over here on my own. I'm nursing them myself over here apart from God. What these verses say is that when you do that, your, your worship is for naught. Hard-heartedness hinders worship. Hard-heartedness hinders worship. But worshiping from a soft heart, not a perfect heart, not an altogether heart, not a free from tension and messiness heart, just a soft heart. Worshiping from a soft heart clears the way for worship. Whatever it is that would tempt you to harden your heart, confess, repent, turn toward God with whatever it is. Welcome him to meet you in it. He wants to. He will. (laughs) A soft heart clears the way for worship. As the worship team comes, I want to let you know we've planned this service so that there's a little more time to respond uh, after the message. And before we move into that time of response, I'm going to ask you to indulge me in something. Uh, Hebrews 12.1 refers to throwing off everything that hinders. So I'm going to ask if you would please stand. And I want you to think of your hands as you just wash them. Now they're dripping with water and you are shaking off. Would you do that for me? Just shake off that water. All right. As I pray, I want you to shake off these hindrances that I pray about. And then we'll have an opportunity to respond together in worship. Okay? Let's pray together. Lord, we look to you this morning and we ask you to enable us to shake off the hindrances of isolation. Enable us to worship together. Lord, we ask you to enable us to shake off the skewed views that we have of you, the things we believe about you that aren't really true. Help us to shake that off and worship the real you. God, help us to shake off this morning the hindrances of pretending or faking it in worship. Would you enable us to worship as the real us, And God, would you enable us to shake off anything that would lead us to have a hard heart and make our hearts soft. Enable us to worship from a soft heart because you're worthy and you're worth it and you are due our full attention, our full affection, all of our allegiance. And we honor you. Amen.